Ifedayo Gatling is one-third of the Harlem Gospel Travelers, and he's joined The Antidote. It's so good to have you here with us. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be talking to you. What about telling us of the beginnings of the Harlem Gospel Travelers? How did it come about? So, myself and my other group member, George, we were singing at a foundation in Harlem, and our current manager and producer, Eli Paperboy Reed, he came and joined that program to teach a quartet class, and I joined first, and then George, and basically it started because of that, and then uh, one day during class, I started writing original music, and the dream and the life of this group kind of started from there. So it was, really was fast-tracked. I wouldn't say fast-tracked, but it definitely was like, this was not something that we expected to happen. I mean, we were literally just sitting in our regular class of learning, you know, traditional quartet music. And then I felt inspired and I started writing two singles, He's on Time and Wash Me Lord, in the middle of that class. And that is what birthed our first record, He's on Time, and has led us to this point now. Just was kind of spontaneous, and then things happened and doors opened, and we just were like, okay, if this is going to be a group, if we're going to be artists, then let's do it. So then, does this mean that you've always been into singing? Yes. So for me personally, I've been singing since I was about three years old. Oh, wow. I was classically trained. I started training when I was about five or six. And I'm also trained in musical theater. And I was a professional background singer. So I've always been a singer. I just never thought I would be a gospel artist. And I've said that in many a show. And I've said that in my church, I never thought I would be a gospel artist. But you never know what door will open for you. And so when this door opened, uh, we basically just were like, well, all right, if this is the door that's going to open. Let's walk through it and give it everything we got. Well, I have to tell you that I do love the music you're creating, but your band name drives me nuts. I mean, why does Travelers only have a single letter L instead of two? I'm not the speller of the group, so don't ask me. I'm also not the person that came up with the name. That was Eli's idea, so I can't answer that question. I spell (laughs) it wrong every time. You're just saying it's not your fault. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, it's the style of the Harlem Gospel Travelers that delivers a surprise. It's like it's a time warp back to the 1960s. It's really, like I said, this the whole thing began because we were observing and learning the traditional quartet music and emulating and learning how to produce that sound. And that's what birthed the first record. The first record was basically us capturing what we had learned with featuring, you know, music that we had created. And all of the songs, except for, I think, one that are on there that are besides the covers are songs that I wrote. So I have to double check on that. So don't quote me, but I think that's the truth. But that's basically what that first album was. And then our current album, Look Up, was birthed out of the pandemic and what we felt like we wanted to say, you know, and and pushing the boundaries of what people consider gospel music or quartet music. And it's paying homage to what's been done while also pushing forward to the future. Well, I would say that many of the songs that you're releasing really are timeless. 
and I guess I'm thinking of the latest single, Do You Know the Man. Do you have any idea when that song may have originally been written? I have not a clue. That is one of the songs that was brought to us by Eli for the record, and it's quickly become a favorite of ours to sing, especially because if you listen to our record and you see us live, we sing really hard and we sing a lot of really fast songs and a lot of belting. So to get that time to just kind of chill and sit in the music and be just taken away by it is so good. And something like that, you know, my my group member, George Mirage, he leads that song. He has that quality in his voice that just allows you to feel like it's a warm hug. Oh, I love that style. There's something else about Do You Know the Man? I googled the song, but there doesn't seem to be a definitive set of lyrics. There's all kinds of versions. Do you think that artists should do their own take on a traditional song? I mean, there, there's a fine, fine line. So I got to watch what I say because they'll try to come at me. So when you have songs like Do You Know the Man that were done, you know, back in, in the day of, of the quartet groups and, and many a times with different um, gospel groups, what would happen is, is that there would be a writer of the song and then a group would become famous for being the singers of the song. And then in the spirit of church and being taken by the spirit and the Holy ghost, what would happen is, is that people would tell their own stories through the lens of the song. So the topical point is, do you know the man? And then different groups that would sing and give their interpretation of the song would tell their story of discovering God or discovering Jesus or for people who don't believe in God, discovering their higher power. And they would tell their story. What became is that you have the same song with many lyrics to it. And then you just choose which story is closest to you or you tell your own story. So it's a fine line. You know, there's that, but then there's also some things that should be stuck and, you know, the, the story is written and should be told as such. So it's really just about the song. It's about the material. That's so cool. I never would have thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Something else that I really don't get is, why does Eli end up helping out a gospel quartet? Because that's not his actual style of music. You think? <laughs> well, I mean, I would certainly say it could be influencing him but it isn't his prime style. Well, the, the great thing about music and the great thing about, you know, gospel music is gospel music is the root of all music. Every genre of music is inspired by gospel music. Any musician in any genre will tell you that. And so with Eli, I call him the walking thesaurus because he is a musical nerd. He's a musical historian. And he was trained at the foot of these people that created gospel music. And he took what he learned and created a sound for himself and found a place for himself in music. But when he came back to teach the gospel quartet, that was him going back to the foundation that taught him and also helping us to discover a new lens of music that frankly, was being lost with all the other genres. So that's how he ended up being a part of it is because it's something that he loves and is very close to his heart and something that has inspired him. And and for me, like I come from the church, I come from gospel music, but my generation, we grew up on choirs. So it was a merge of the two that created this project of the two different 
backgrounds and the roots that we found and creating this group. That's how it happened. Well, as you're mentioning that you've come from the church and Christian messages come through on most of the songs by the Harlem Gospel Travelers, but does each of your members in the band have that same faith connection? So, the funny thing is, is that George is Catholic and I'm Christian, my denomination being Baptist, and my, our other group member, Dennis, he's also Christian. I'm actually not sure what his denomination is. I need to ask him that. But I came up in the church very strictly because I'm a preacher's kid. I call myself a gold star preacher's kid because my pastor, my mom is a pastor, my stepdad is a bishop, my my grandmother is an elder, my aunt is a pastor. I could go on forever about my family and its involvement in church. And then, you know, so I have the deepest, rudest connection in, you know, gospel and, and, and in the church. But we've all, you know, come from different walks of life. But the same thing is that we all have the same connection to our creator. And I think that's what allows us to create the music that we do because it's true to us. And uh, again, if you ever see us in, in shows, we get caught up. But for you personally, you were destined to do this. You had no option. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I said it earlier. I was like, I never thought that I would be a gospel artist. And I meant that wholeheartedly. You know, growing up in church and watching a lot of gospel artists, and, and I've seen a lot of gospel artists very close to me, very difficult to be a gospel artist because it's not just about singing. It's not just about is your music good? Now people want to judge you based on the life that you live. And it's completely different than what being a regular artist would be. And so because of that, I, I ran from it a lot and was like, I don't want to sing gospel music. That's why I said when this door opened, I really had to have a conversation with myself and a conversation with God and say, if this is the door that you've opened for me, then who am I to turn my nose up at it? And so I walked in it and I just said, okay, I'm going to do what I got to do. Isn't that unfair that artists get judged on their own personal life versus the art they're creating? Who you telling? I mean, that's why I always say to people, you know, mind your business, because whatever I choose to share with people is what I choose to share with people. And I have nothing to hide. But, you know, a lot of times, especially in today's age with social media, everybody feels like they're entitled to know everything about you. And you're not. And, you know, especially when you do a genre like gospel music, now they're not, they don't just feel entitled to know about you and your personal life, but now they want to know about you and your relationship with your creator and how deep it is and then want to judge you on that relationship. And so it's very, you know, annoying and difficult. But, you know, at the end of the day, as long as I'm comfortable and as long as me and my creator are on one accord, then people can say what they want to. My light's still on. I remember seeing a video on one female artist, and people were horrified because they could see her belly button. <laughs> Can you imagine? What a thing to get upset about. I got in trouble on, on our first tour for wearing shorts. You know, <laughs> so it, it comes. You get in trouble about the most, the silliest of things. But at the end of the day, like I said, focus on the message. If the music helps somebody, then it doesn't matter if 10 people don't like me or if 10 people have an attitude about the way that we choose to do things. If one person says to us, your music saved me, I feel seen through your music, I feel seen through you, 
then we've done our jobs, not just as artists, but also as artists in the gospel genre. You know, I can't imagine that writing music like this could be easy. Where does it start? Is it the music? Is it the lyrics? How does it begin? It really depends on what inspires me. I wish that I could say I was one of those songwriters that's like, I have a method. I really don't. There are times where I could be joking around with my other group members and we'll just start singing something. I'm like, hmm, that's a good idea for a song. And then I'll just start writing. Or a lot of times I'm by myself and I'll just be thinking about life and thinking about things that I want to say, thinking about society that we live in. And I'll start writing stuff down or sometimes I'll even hear a melody and I'll say, hmm, I like this. And I'll record the melody and I'll sing it and play it over and over and over again, whether it's throughout the day or throughout the week. And then sometimes a song comes out of it. Sometimes it doesn't. So I don't really have one way of doing something. But what I will say is, is that writing gossip music and writing regular music, one is not easier than the other. At the end of the day, at least for me, it's about storytelling and about a message and so easy in both hand in hands. You know, I've I've written very traditional gospel songs, and then I've written more edgy and, and rock-infused type songs that are about social change and stuff like our song Fight On, where they just come from the root of you. So everything that you're creating, in a nutshell, is gospel quartet. You mentioned that little bit about the rock music. Have you ever thought about branching into a different style completely? Well, for us, I, I like I said, gospel music is the root of all music. And so we haven't limited ourselves to one genre. We sing what we want to sing and we sing how we want to sing. Like I said, we pay homage to what is original to us and what we are known for, which is our quartet feel. But we have songs that lean towards that you know, rock side. We have songs like on our new album, Hold Your Head Up and Fight On. Those songs are not in the traditional setting of what you would hear for any gospel artist, you know, and then you go back and you go to that traditional stuff like the song, I'm Grateful. So we're not limited just to one genre. We're singers and we sing what we want to sing. That certainly comes through on a song from the debut EP because Really, I think if it was pushed maybe a little bit further, He's On Time could have slid right into being a psychedelic track. Funny thing is, is that when we perform that song live, people go crazy. They go nuts. Here's the thing about us and about gospel music. I think people get so turned off by the term gospel because they feel like you're trying to convert them or trying to change them. And our mission is not to change anyone of your belief. Our mission is to change you and make your life better. Meaning we want to inspire you. We want to make you smile. We want you to feel something when you listen to us, when you see us, when you're around us, that somehow or another, we're able to give you light in your darkest places or brighten up even your brightest of days. And so when you have a song like He's On Time, whether or not you know who he is, as long as you got the message that somebody's going to be there for you when you need them, then we did our job. And if you love it and you rock out to it and you dance to it, then we did our job two times. So you're not going to be doing any baptisms on stage during a set? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, we will not. First of all, I'm not getting my hair wet. We are not going in the water. (laughs) Funny, when I was baptized, they didn't let me wear water wings. (laughs) My mom baptized me, so I knew I was going to be fine. (laughs) Here's something. You're one of the singers in the Harlem Gospel Mm -hmm. Travelers. But with three of you, how do you pick who's going to be taking over lead vocals? We don't. (laughs) We just say, I think this song fits for this person. Or, you know, I write a lot of the songs. If I don't write them, then they're covers or Eli will write them. Or we've had a song written for us by Aaron Fraser and Eli, actually. And so it really is just about who we feel the song is best fit for. And there's been times where, like, I've written a song for one person and they're like, no, you should sing that song. And I'm like, no, I want you to sing the song and we'll go back and forth. But like, it's not the traditional thing of like what people would think in a group of three singers where it's like, we're all fighting for leads. Cause at the end of the day, we'll gladly turn over a song to somebody else before we'll take it for ourselves. And you also do bring in guest vocalists like on I'm grateful. Mm hmm. I brought my mama in to come holler with me. (laughs) It's your mom. Yeah. And it just sounded like you pulled in Aretha Franklin. When I tell you my mom is a powerhouse, she won't say it. But she's the person that when I sing and when I'm, you know, really wailing, she's the person I'm trying to imitate. Because growing up, watching her preach and, you know, when I was younger, she used to sing before she would preach. And... That was my first introduction. And so she started bringing me up to sing with her before she would preach. And so getting her to be on the record was kind of capturing what we would do in church together. And so it was amazing to do. And it's amazing to hear it all the time. And when I have to sing it by myself, I kind of miss her. But then I feel like she's with me. And when I feel her spirit come on me, then I go even harder. And there are times where like, my group members, they'll look at me and they'll be like, that was a Cynthia move. That's my mom's name. They'll be like, that was a Cynthia move right there. <laughs> How much convincing did it take to get her to come on and do the song with you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I had to be like, Ma, I really need you to come do this. Ma, please. She's like, no, I'm not a singer. Like, I just, I do what I got to do in church, but I'm not going to be on a record. I'm like, Ma, you have to do this. And literally, I had to have... Eli called her, the record label was like, please, and then she came in and she killed it. Oh, it's fabulous. Well, that song, I'm Grateful, is from Look Up, the latest album from the Harlem Gospel Travelers. What do you see as the biggest change between this new release and your debut, He's On Time? Uh, Attention, and really what our motive is. Like I said, our first record was us just capturing what we had learned, and nobody thought this was going to be anything. We just wanted to have a record to say, hey, this is for our families. This is what we've done. Like, isn't this cool? And we went our separate ways. I went to college. Uh, George went, and he started working in, uh, in background and doing other stuff. Dennis wasn't even a part of the group yet. We had our other two members, and everybody went their separate ways. And then all of a sudden, It charted on Billboard and, you know, people were looking for us and we were getting shows and it was like, okay, you know, this is cool. And then what really kind of changed the game for us was Fight On. When we were in the pandemic and the rise of white supremacy and the wrongfully killing of Black people on the rise, Eli had reached out to me and was like, 
do you want to say something? And I said, absolutely. And so he came with a cover idea and I was like, no, I was like, I want my people to feel empowered, not depressed. And it wasn't a bad song. Like that, I, it wasn't a bad song. I just, it wasn't right for the time. And so I told him, I said, give me five minutes. I'll be back. And he said, okay, <laughs> I minutes. came back in five minutes with fight on. And then we recorded it. That was like a Monday. We recorded it that Friday and it was released, I think the following week. And then that kind of was our second lifeline. Then we were getting noticed by Elton John and, you know, everything oh, blew really? up from there. And so we were like, okay, we need a record now. So what are we going to do? And I was just inspired by the pandemic and trying to keep myself alive and writing what I was feeling. And that's how we got songs like I'm grateful and God will take care of you and hold on and hold your head up. You know, that's the reason all of those songs that are our originals were inspired by what we were feeling through the pandemic and what we were feeling through life. And so I think that's the difference is that we really understood that now like we're artists and we have something to say and we have an impact and we're getting attention and what do we want to say and how are we feeling? And so with Look Up, it's really personal. I always say it's the songs that kept me alive through the pandemic. And so I think that's the big difference. And also, like, we take it really seriously. Like, we work really hard to continue to push ourselves. I think vocally, you can tell the difference between our first record and our second one. I mean, I was not the belter, you know, in our first record. And then all of a sudden, here I come just a hollering and a screaming in the second one. <laughs> well, to spin this back to fight on for a moment, you know, effectively, I guess I would refer to it as a protest song but it's also so personal. Were you angry when you wrote the song? I was upset, but I don't want to use the the word angry because when people hear about an angry black man, it, whatever I say after that goes in one ear and out the other. So I was very passionate. I was very saddened by what was going on. You know, I, I'm a part of the generation that witnessed the killing of Trayvon Martin. And I remember... I was working and I was still very young and my mom was did not allow me to wear hoodies because of that situation, just out of fear. And then to watch all of these, you know, Breonna Taylor and, and, and all of those other people that were just dying for no reason, it makes you feel some type of way. And I have four little brothers and to think about somebody hurting them broke my heart. And so when Eli asked me, did I want something to say? I said, okay, well, what do I want to say? I want them to feel empowered. That's why like, it is a protest song because it stands a- up against white supremacy, but it's really about empowering any minority group that's ever felt like somebody is trying to take something from them, whether you're Black, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Latinx, whether you're Pacific Islander, Asian, whether you're a part of the LGBTQ community, trans, whoever you are. If you've ever felt like somebody has tried to destroy you, fight on is for you to keep on going. And that was my mission and my purpose in writing that. And the beginning of fight on is actually a hymn. That is a part of the church for me and and the church that has been a part of the civil rights movement. And I use that to inspire the rest of the song. You brought in a guest vocalist on another song. 
Let Me Tell You. Kendall Kent, what did he give to that song that you couldn't have done? So Kendall was somebody that had followed us on Instagram and was a a very big fan of, of ours. And he's also one of the people that really, really love quartet music and is very well versed in quartet music. And Eli had the idea of having him come on to do the record with us to do the bass lines. Because if you have not noticed, all three of us are very high tenors. And so even when somebody chooses to sing the the bottom harmony, it's not as low. And so to give that fully rounded, you know, traditional quartet sounds to those songs, we decided to bring him on to do all of the bass and to do his signature pump that he's been working on for a very long time. And he became a, a close friend of ours. And so I decided to write him a song and I wrote that song for him. So it, it wasn't written for anybody else. I wrote it for him to give him an opportunity to shine and to uplift another artist. Then what's the potential of the Harlem Gospel Travelers to actually become a legitimate quartet? Because it's just the trio at this point. Well, I think we came into this game as a quartet group, but we really locked in and discovered who we are as a trio. And it's a good thing that quartet is not a part of our name because that would be terrible. But, um, you know, the three of us are very, very close, myself, George and Dennis, and we just know how to sing with each other. And so as of right now, it's going to stick to the three of us. We've got to talk about the title track from Look Up. Is it actually that easy to be positive? So Look Up. I'm so saddened to say that I didn't write that song. Eli wrote that song. And to to be honest, sometimes I forget that I didn't write it. And I'll be like, ooh, that's my song. And he'll be like, uh, no. <laughs> you know, he wrote Look Up. And he wrote what he needed in, in the pandemic. And when he shared it with us, if I'm not mistaken, when we first recorded Look Up, it was actually before the pandemic. And <laughs> me and George were so sick. I had a chest cold, he had a head cold, and we had a show then, you know, later that night. But we recorded it mm-hmm. and actually forgot about it. It wasn't until during the pandemic when we were actually, you know, recording the stuff for the album that we said, okay, let's redo this with like actual good vocals and not half dying. And it meant something totally different to think about all we've been through during the pandemic and all we had been through is as black men and as artists and and people just trying to make it every day to say the words look up it's subjective whatever looking up means to you that's what it's supposed to be so when it came to being positive the music inspires that feeling and to say those words and truly understand it and mean it it's not hard but it definitely is one of those songs that like Even when we're having a horrible day, being able to sing that song can make all of us smile. And by the time we're done with the song, whatever happened earlier in the day, it doesn't matter anymore. So it's become kind of a mantra to us when, you know, things don't go our way or something happens in our lives. It's actually always George. He's like, hey, look up. And so we're like, all right, I'll I'll come out of my funk. We're going to look up. (laughs) You know, I think there's something I'd like you to do for me. Maybe you could sum up the Harlan Gospel Travelers. 
Like, is it the music, the voices, or is it the faith message that you most want to make an impact with? Wow. That's the best question I've ever been asked in an interview. Um, I think it's all three. I mean, it is a desire of ours to have an impact on this generation and have an impact on music and leave a legacy. And and what our mission and our purpose statement is, is to speak to the people that feel like they don't have a voice and to represent those that feel like they've never been seen. And we do that through the lens of music. We do that through the lens of our lives. We do that through the lens of our messages. And so our purpose as the Harlem Gospel Travelers is to be there for you when you feel like there's nobody else to cheer you on when you're succeeding, to get you through your toughest moments, and to be the liaison and the pioneers for young Black men who are doing something positive. Because it's always in the media when we're doing something negative, but it's rarely in the media when we're doing something positive. And so we want to be the representation of the positive. Aoife Dio-Gatling has been with us. Thanks so much for being a part of The Antidote. Thank you so much for having me.